0: Well, I like to play this game with myself, or play against myself, I should say, it's when I'm flying. But I only do it when I'm flying solo. I don't do it when I'm flying with my family and with the kids, because it'd just be way too much pressure. And quite frankly, Chelsea probably wouldn't allow me to do it anyway. But the game that I like to play during this time that I'm flying is, I want to perfectly time when I leave the house, to get to and through the airport and get to my departing gate exactly 30 minutes before the flight takes off, which means they're just starting to board the plane. So a few weeks ago, I had to fly out of town for work. And again, like I normally do, I was doing the game that I normally play. So I had it timed perfectly. All the lights were green, no traffic. I got to the airport. I was hitting all the time markers that I had set out. And so I was in a good mood. I'm walking through the airport. I'm smiling and grinning. I'm saying hi to everybody. It's 6 a.m., so they're not saying anything back. They're just staring at me like I'm crazy. But I'm in a good mood. I'm smiling. And then I turned the corner, and then my face just dropped. Gosh! Once again, I forgot to underestimate the unpredictable security line. So many of you that have traveled you know that line can be very unpredictable. It can be short one day and then the next day, next day it could take two hours for you to get through. But this one particular day, I all of a sudden was on pace and then now I was set back because of this line. Now this TSA security checkpoint line, typically the reason this backed up is because people fail to follow the rules. The rules are very simple. They tell it to you all the time. It's empty out everything in your pockets, place all your items on the belt and keep your boarding pass with you. I could probably work for TSA, I know that line. So they should hire me, but it's very simple. They tell everybody this rule every single time. And it's never me, but everybody else seems to not get it. And it always backs the line up. So whether you're naive to the rule or you're just somebody that's convicted that this particular article that you have is gonna be able to make it through the process there's going to come a point where you're going to have to empty out everything and follow the rules, the rules that TSA has created. Well, just like with TSA checkpoint, there comes a time in our life where at the end of this all, we're all going to have to face a checkpoint, right? God's going to call us all to empty out every minute of our life. And then he's going to ask the question, I gave you a all these people that I put into your life, what did you do with them? And I'll tell you right now, based on what the Bible says, that answer answer is not going to be, I made friends with everybody. I made sure everybody liked me. That's not going to be an acceptable answer. But tonight we're going to unpack exactly how God can help us make the single greatest impact on someone's life that we'll potentially meet this week. And that, like the boarding pass, will be acceptable to keep with you as you go through God's checkpoint. So if you open up your Bible with me to Luke 15, we're gonna dive into that. And in this chapter, we come to three parables Jesus gives us about the lost. We're gonna focus on the first two today. Jesus explains the lost and the joy when finding them, starting in verse one. It reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners we all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse eight, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So although the environment might be different in these two parables, the similarities are the seeking and rejoicing over the lost. Both call together friends and neighbors to celebrate. And Jesus explains that this brings joy to all of heaven. The fact that Jesus explains joy twice in both of these parables lets us know the value that he has in every individual Christian that comes to Christ. But once you're saved, you don't just kick up your feet and think that's it. Life is now easy. The Bible commands us to go out and seek the lost. And God can use you as human agents to bring others lost to Christ. The way we do this, just so we're clear, is sharing the gospel. But that won't come without little resistance from the enemy. As we know, the Pharisees throughout the gospel despised what Jesus did. And it showed up again here in verses 1 and 2. It says the Pharisees grumbled. Right? They weren't happy that Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. They wanted him to condemn them. So in in sports, you hear this a lot. This phrase called home court advantage. So home court advantage is typically in big games. They talk about it, and most of the most of the teams fight and lobby to try to get home court advantage. But what home court advantage does is it gives you many advantages as the home team, as it says. But more specifically you have the crowd on your side. So although the crowd is not on the court or on the field competing with everybody, they play a pivotal role because their job is to distract the visiting team and give the home team the advantage. So they yell all kind of verbal things to you throughout the entire game. I played basketball in college, as you all know, and I've taken my fair share of, of abuse from the crowd verbally. There was one crowd in. In particular that I remember. We were playing St. Francis University. It's a college out in Pennsylvania. It was in 2008, my senior year. And I remember during that game, I was at the free throw line. And I'm standing at the free throw line, and I'm getting ready to shoot my first free throw. And out of nowhere, the entire student section started chanting, Chelsea, Chelsea. And I was in shock. And I turned to the bench, and everybody literally was like, (laughs) and that." Affirmed to me that yes, they were saying my at the po- at the time my girlfriend's name, and we had only been dating for about a year at the time. So, I was I was just thrown off. I had never heard anything like this, but because it was on Facebook, it was public knowledge, and I couldn't help but laugh because of the the depths that the opposition went to, to find out everything they could to distract me from actually making that free throw. I don't know if I made it or not. Um, Let's not, let's not even go there. Don't worry about that. But the point is, uh, they were trying to distract me from my ultimate goal. As Christians, we have to always remember that we are the visiting team here on earth. And the enemy will continue to do everything that they can to distract us from the ultimate goal of glorifying God. That brings us to our first point tonight. Let's write it down this way. We have to anticipate opposition from the world in evangelism. Anticipate opposition from the world in evangelism. The world is at constant war with God, and the Bible tells us there's no way to love both. John 15, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. The world has a different view on things that pertain to life. What we do as Christians seems foolish to them. First Corinthians 1:18 says, For the world, excuse me, for the word of the cross is folly. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's going to be some close relationships that you have with non believers that will become more distant because the friendship wasn't built with Christ as the foundation. And they will reject the new addition of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It is not easy sometimes, and you're tempted to do everything that you can to salvage that relationship because you got so much history with that non-believing friend. But I can just tell you, it's just going to grow distant, and that's just what it is, and we have to be okay with that. But what we can do is continue to share the gospel with them. I used to love math. It was my favorite subject until I got to high school and college. And the reason I couldn't stand math anymore at that point is because it was no longer just simple numbers. They decided to add in symbols. They decided to add in letters. I don't know why, but I, I just didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. What I really didn't like about math once you got to that stage is the fact that you could spend 10 to 20 minutes on a specific problem, and if you got it wrong at the beginning, you were wasting your time. All right? We've all been through that. You feel like that answer is right. You're like, oh, that's that's perfect. And then the teacher gives you another answer, and it's completely the opposite of what you got. That's the same thing with our, our, our friendships. We have formulas that, that create a bond with specific friends that we have. And so when you have friends that before you were saved, you, they were non-believers, you had this bond. It was an equation that you had that made everything sync. It made you guys click, and you became friends. Well, when you become a new creation in Christ, well, then that, there's a change to that formula, right? And so that formula now that you have started with It's slightly different, and it's going to give you an end result that's different than what your original intent was for that relationship. But God is so great in that he provides for us that we can go be part of ministries. We can go dig into church a little bit more, and God all of a sudden provides these friendships that we have that we can connect and form these new bonds and these new formulas that no matter what you do, they will always have the same end result. We have to anticipate this because we were once in their same spot. As much as we want to believe that we were always Christians, we weren't. You were born into this world as sinners. And there came a moment of salvation and you became a new person in Christ. Ephesians 5:8 tells us, for at one time you were darkness, but you are light in the Lord. Before you were saved, you had similar grumblings as the Pharisees. You'd see people doing things in church and you're like, "Ah, why do they have to do all that? Why do they have to spend that much time? Some of you still are in here right now that are having these grumblings. You look at other believers and you you, you complain about them because they're spending so much time in ministry. And you're just looking to do the bare minimum to call yourself a Christian. You convince yourself that you're much busier than all of the Christians. So that's why you can't serve in ministries like everybody else is doing. Pastor PJ gave us all a challenge when we were out at the retreat. Some of you remember it. It was to go find a specific ministry to serve in. How many of you have changed that? How many of you are serving in a ministry now after that challenge? How many of you even went to look right after that? The enemy is gonna deceive us constantly. It's going to look to persuade us to take the easy route, the comfortable route, the lazy route. Right. For example, when we're looking to share, the, share Christ, the enemy is going to tell us, hey, don't, don't worry about that person. They look really busy right now. Or matter of fact, they look angry. Or the enemy might also tell us, hey, look at that person. They would never come to Christ. And so we judge them. Before we even get to know somebody, we make the judgment that they would never come to Christ. Or lastly, the enemy might tell us, you know what? You're a Christian now. Just stand on the sidelines. Stay clean. You don't need to get involved in all that dirty mess on the field, sharing the gospel, getting rejected. Just stay clean. You don't have to do that. Guys, that's all a lie. It's a lie. God is sovereign over everything. That means even the people that he's putting in our lives we got to be sharing the gospel with everybody that we come across. How unloving is it for you to have somebody that you've interacted with for so many years and you've never shared the truth with them? And they're just walking towards destruction. And we've never said anything to save them. God can use the least likely to accomplish his goals. And he can use them for great things. We think about people in the Bible, Moses. Moses wasn't good with words. He complained that... He just couldn't communicate properly that he stuttered. But God can use Moses to bring his people out of Egypt. What about David? David was the runt of the family. When they came to try to find a new king, his father didn't even present David. He presented all the other sons that were physically fit, that looked like they could do the job better. But then we know what David did. What about Paul? Paul was persecuting Christians, tormenting them. And look what he did with his life. We never know what plans God has has for a person and we have to be on relentless pursuit to find the loss. As we get back to our text, we pick up the parallels in each parable. So I'm going to read verse 4 and I'm going to jump down to verse 8. So verse 4 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Verse 8. Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp. Sweep the house. Seek diligently until she finds it. You see the search efforts here in both parables. The woman specifically searching for the coin, it says she searched diligently. That word diligently means constant or painstaking effort to accomplish a goal. There's no one and done attempt here or, you know what, I'll just wait for it to come to me. That's not here. We don't see that attitude here. As Christians, we have to know that God has put lost souls around us and be optimistic that that next person that we share the gospel with, that could be the one. But in order for us to have that optimism, first, we must recognize the personal responsibility to share Christ. That gives us point number two for the night. Recognize that you need to share the gospel with the lost. Recognize that You need to share the gospel with the lost. Jesus tells us the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When we think about search efforts to find the lost, notice I put it in all caps. It's you. It's not somebody else's responsibility. God placed people in our lives for us to share the gospel. Too many times we think, well, somebody else will do it. Or I really don't want to say much to them. Maybe, maybe I'll just send them a scripture or send them a, po- a podcast and that's it. That'll be fine. That's not it. As a Christian, God commands us to go share the good news about Him. We look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus tells His disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not some of you stand back and you just relax and let everybody else do all the hard work sharing the gospel. Too often, we allow non-justified excuses to convince us that, ah, that's not the right opportunity to share the gospel. And they're just excuses, but we allow them to continue to happen. I'm going to give you three excuses that we all commonly have, myself included, and we convince ourselves that this is the reason we're not going to share the gospel versus what reality really is if we're trusting God. So number one we tell ourselves, I don't have enough knowledge. Reality, we should be telling ourselves, I'm saved, so I have enough knowledge to be able to share my testimony. Having a lot of knowledge or having little knowledge should not affect how we seek and share the gospel with the lost. You're never gonna get to a point where you think, okay, I have enough knowledge, now I'm gonna go share the gospel. It's just not gonna happen. You have to trust and obey and have this boldness that God has commanded us and know that He will be with you. Number two, second excuse, I don't have enough time. I got things to do. When reality is, there's absolutely nothing more important or worth our time investment. If you shared the gospel with someone or led someone to Christ, I guarantee you, even if it was years ago, you can tell me exactly what happened from when you shared the gospel to their conversion and give me all the details. If I ask you what you did at school or at work six months ago and, tell me, and ask you to tell me what happened, you'd have a hard time telling me right now. But in that moment, you thought it was critically important. Nothing else was more important than what you had going on, what you had to rush to. The third thing is we think to ourselves, and this is common, very common, the worst case scenario is gonna happen. It might get hostile. Somebody might verbally assault us. Somebody might yell at us or scream at us or embarrass us when really we should be thinking, what if the best case scenario happened and this person turned to Christ? Them hearing, depart from me, I never knew you would be far more offensive for someone you've interacted with because you've never shared Christ. Even if you walked away from the situation because they put their hand out and rejected you and you couldn't get anywhere, 1 Corinthians tells us God is the one that provides the growth. Our job is to plant the seed and water it. There's so much that God can do, even with that rejection, because now it's in their mind. It's a pebble in their shoe. They're constantly going to think about it. So God can start to work behind the scenes in their conscience, in their heart, to do something that's incredible later on. But just do me a favor and just don't continue to justify your excuses. We gotta get out there and share the gospel. If you claim you don't have enough knowledge, how are you overcoming that? How much are we in the word to get that knowledge that we think we need to share the gospel? If you think you don't have enough time, schedule out an extra 10 or 20 minutes after class, when you're at the coffee shop, at food places, so that you can have that that buffer of time with intentions of sharing the gospel with someone. But I can guarantee you that it won't get comfortable if you never open your mouth to share the gospel. The way you get comfortable with things is you practice. You share the gospel over and over and over again. And guess what? It's going to be terrible sometimes. But the more and more you start to hear objections, the more and more you start to put yourself in that situation where you're sharing the gospel, you'll get more comfortable with it. And you'll be more confident in sharing the gospel with people. You're probably thinking right now, all right, Kellen, I'll share the gospel. But to be quite honest, I don't know how to start. I don't know how to open that conversation. Well, guess what? I'm going to give you a few tips on how to do that, okay? Number one, we got to be seeking the opportunity in all conversations. God puts it right in front of us sometimes, especially this day and age. Everybody's quick to say how evil the world is. That's a great time to say how great God is and start from there. Number two, this one's very practical. You can put the action right away. Somebody tomorrow, I'm willing to bet, is going to ask you, how was your weekend? How do you respond to that question? How do you prepare for that? You know what's going to happen. It's a typical Monday question. Everybody just asks, how was your weekend? And normally it's good, good. But take the time to be intentional about answering that question. Tell them about third nine. Tell them about this sermon. Tell them you had a crazy person up here just just continuing to say, share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. I don't care. Use me as a scapegoat, but share the gospel with them. Don't just let this message just gloss over you and you do nothing with it. It's a perfect opportunity. How was your weekend? Well, we talked about in third nine about sharing the gospel. Have you ever heard the gospel? If you haven't, let me share it with you right now. They've asked you the question. There's no need to dance around it, okay? Number three, this is another basic question, non-offensive question. Have you ever thought about what happens when this life ends? Just ask somebody that. Tell you right now, a lot of people, they don't want to think about it. Or they haven't thought about it, which I don't think is true because God tells us in the Bible that he's put eternity on every man's heart and on their mind. So whether they're thinking about it or not, it's on their mind. And so there's something to talk about there. Number four, do you go to church around here? If so, where? And how does that church define how you get to heaven? And if the person doesn't go to church, hey, is there a reason you don't go to church? I'm just interested. And last but not least, in this one right here, you can pray this right now. If you're thinking, oh, I can do that, these things tomorrow when they ask me how was your weekend, this is something you can do right now. And that's pray specifically to God to open up doors to share the gospel. But be careful. When you make that prayer, That opportunity is going to come. And so you need to be prepared to share the gospel. I can give you all these things to make it easy to get there. But it takes you being bold and opening up your mouth to share the gospel. That has to happen. Look, I can tell you from my own experience. Is it a little uncomfortable to initiate that conversation? Yes. Will excuses flood your mind? Yes. Could you possibly grow more distant from your friends? Yes. Yes. All of them are yes. And some of you might be thinking right now, well, I I don't know if I want to answer yes to that question. Well, let me get really serious and ask you this question. Who are you seeking to please? Your lost friends or God? God is specifically commanding us to go out and share the gospel. So are you right with the Lord that's commanding you to do that when you're thinking otherwise? No matter what your personality type is, there's just, when you know what gift you have from God, there's just no way to bottle that up and not say anything. It hurts. It's got to come out. Every time you share the gospel, you're one step closer to bringing joy that Jesus tells us will fill all of heaven. Getting back to our text, we're going to jump into verse 6, and let's read about this joy. Verse 6 says, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends. And his neighbor saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's drop down to verse 9. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The great news is that when we find that one that's lost, we know and we can confirm based on scripture that they're rejoicing, they're cheering in heaven. And you get the joy of knowing it was well worth the search efforts. So let's write down our final point for the night. So our third point is be inspired that you are part of the plan to bring heavenly joy. Be inspired that you are part of the plan to bring heavenly joy. The fact that God wants to use someone as sinful and wicked as you and I is incredible. I used to work at Target uh, back in the day and at Target they had all these codes that all the team members knew for emergencies. They were different colors. So one specific code was code yellow. Code yellow meant when you heard that there was a lost child within the store. So when you heard code yellow, the routine was there were people that had to communicate what doors, what exit doors that they were going to go cover. All the exit doors had to be covered to make sure that the child couldn't exit the building. If you didn't have an exit door, your your job was to run aisle to aisle searching diligently for this child. One thing that had to happen that was not an option, whatever you were doing during that time, it had to come to a halt because there was nothing more important than finding that child. As everybody was searching, there is always one employee that gets the honor of finding the child and then bringing that child back to the parent. And they just get to feel the joy. They get to experience the joy when that parent reunites with their child. So there were a lot of people involved in this, right? It's the same thing with someone's conversion. There's a lot of people and God is so involved behind the scenes. But God wants to use you. God wants to use you as that one person that can bring a child, bring a lost person, to back to their parents, right? Bring them back to Christ where they belong. The amount of joy at Target also was partly because of the danger that was avoided by finding this child. Anything from child abduction to child getting injured in a store or even getting hit by a car if he was able to get outside. That's one of the many descriptions or excuse me, the amount, uh, God is saving The spiritually lost from much worse. Revelations 1410 tells us the three angels explain it this way. For those that are in hell, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. That's one of many descriptions that the Bible gives us about hell. Being removed from that in which we all deserve should cause us to rejoice. Now, all this that I said tonight, it might ring hollow to you if, you're not, if you haven't personally given your life to Christ. You're not going to have that desire to seek diligently for the lost if you don't realize something's missing. For the saved that are here, because Jesus has not returned, that means they're still lost out there. There's work to be done. They might be in this room right now, and you know it. Don't assume just because they come here, they clearly understand the gospel. We hear it all the time in baptisms. People spend years and years, their entire lives in church, and they never clearly understood the gospel. And they never gave their life to Christ because it just wasn't clear to them. The veil wasn't lifted from their eyes. We got to go out and share the good news. This life is short. And there's absolutely nothing more important than being certain on where you or others you interact with are going when this life ends. I love that quote from C.T. Studd. It says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's easy to be busy, guys, but make sure you're busy with things that'll last. I got a chance to uh, read this article yesterday. It was published on Friday. And the the title of this article was Former Prince of ISIS Turns to Christ. I thought that was just two polar opposites. So I I just had to read it. I was curious on what this was all about. But after I read it, I was so convicted by this article. So if you don't know what ISIS is, ISIS stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria and basically they're a, a militant organization that they protect and enforce the Islamic laws. Most of you have probably heard about them uh, because they're designated as terrorist group. So anytime we have terror activity, the they, first thing they do is related to ISIS, um, and then they go from there. So that's probably where you heard about it. But as I, as I read this, I learned that there was a guy named Peter And Peter was part of this organization that's overseas. They're a missionary-type organization, and they're built to go reach the unreachable. And so Peter, specifically, over the years, has been sharing the gospel and meeting with Muslims on their territory. And so if you don't think that's risky, there's more to that story. So Peter, sharing the gospel with Muslims, not backing down, being extremely bold about this, he received a call one day, and it was from one of the religious leaders in ISIS. His name was Muhammad. They had another name for him, but to protect this guy now, they call him Muhammad. So Muhammad called Peter and wanted to meet with him one on one. So Peter agreed. And Peter knew at that time he was meeting with Muhammad that this guy could possibly be trying to kill him, but he just had this burning desire from God in his heart that he needed to go meet with Muhammad and share the gospel with them. So they met one-on-one. You got one of the high-ranked people of ISIS, and Peter boldly shared the gospel with them. Unbeknownst to Peter, Muhammad, during that one-on-one meeting, had a knife in his back pocket. And Muhammad called that meeting because he had heard that Peter was sharing the gospel with Muslims. And his intention for that meeting was to kill Peter. But he didn't kill Peter. What he did do was call Peter for a second follow-up meeting after Peter shared the gospel. And Muhammad stormed out frustrated. During the second meeting, Muhammad showed up to the meeting. And he had completely dropped and disconnected himself from ISIS. And he wanted to let Peter know that he had proclaimed faith in Christ and that he was now a believer. And this was several years ago, several years ago, and still several years within or from that point, he's a faithful believer in Christ. And he's out there sharing the gospel now with people. You see, Peter just obeyed the same command Jesus gives you and me in Scripture constantly sharing the gospel he just like us in our daily lives had no idea what God had been doing behind the scenes God had already been working on Muhammad long before he met with Peter listen to these comments that Muhammad made this was before he actually even heard of Peter or met with Peter he said previously someone asked me why I was a Muslim And I didn't have a clear answer. He Didn't know why he was a Muslim. He said, I researched to find proof that Islam is right. And I found nothing. Nothing. And we're talking about a, a prominent figure in Islam. Someone that people look up to. He could find nothing. So Peter, of course, having no idea of any of this. God had it perfectly teed up. All Peter needed to do was open his mouth and share the gospel, and that he did. Look, people are ready to receive the gospel all around you. You're going to encounter some of them this week. God has already done the hard work behind the scenes, fixed their heart, caused confusion in their mind and hopelessness in this world. And all they need to do is hear the gospel from you. But... That won't happen if you continue to let the enemy convince you that it's not the right thing to do. All of heaven is watching us right now. They're waiting to shout for joy right now for the next lost soul that you find. And as the human agent for God, walk them to safety in Christ. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this this text today lord we thank you that you've made it clear to us that there's so many lost out there right now lord and, and as we think about our lives i know we can think about two or three people that we interact with that we're close with that we just know are lost lord and i pray i pray this week you provide that open door for everyone in this room to go out and share the gospel make it clear that this is what you're calling them to do And, Lord, I pray if there's somebody in this room tonight that just doesn't have that urge to go seek out the lost and that they may be the ones that are lost, I pray that they're able to give their life to you, Lord, and not wait another moment. There's over 150,000 people that die every day. And just like all of us in this room, they had plans for the rest of the day. They had plans for the rest of this week and for the rest of this month. And it got cut short. Lord I pray that we would all have that urgency if you're not right with Christ to get right with Christ today and not let a moment pass that it can be taken away in a split second and for for those of us that are saved in this room Lord I pray that you would continue to just give us that burning desire inside to share the gospel I pray that we wouldn't even be able to 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 think think about other things think about priorities that we have later on in in that day because we got an opportunity to share the gospel right in front of us at this moment. Lord, I pray for the discussions that we'll have tonight. I know it's not an easy thing to do to go share the gospel. Lord, I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's hard to to talk to somebody in in fear that you you might never have the same relationship that you once had with somebody because you're sharing the truth with them and they may become offended. But there's no greater offense, Lord, than for you to say, depart from me. I never knew you with somebody that we've interacted with so much. And then they look at us and wonder why we never shared anything with them. Lord, I pray for the discussions that we'll have tonight. I pray that they be fruitful. I pray that they be glorifying to you. And I pray that every individual in this room today can leave out of here Look in the search for the lost. Answering questions like, hey, how was your weekend? Being intentional about that answer, Lord. I pray that they'd look for an opportunity in conversations that they're going to have throughout this week and not shy away from it and know that it's never just going to fall in our laps. But the enemy is going to continue to try to tell us, don't worry about that one. Let that one pass. Let us jump on those as we see them, as they show up right in front of us. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to go through your text, Lord. We thank you for your word and the clarity that it gives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.